We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 118 of the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. It is the 18th of October, 2017. I am the Iron Fist, with me the one and only, the Velvet Glove, Scott. How's it going? It's really well, thank you, Trevor. How's life with you? I'm quite angry, Scott. Like, just... Really? Just the... Dear listener, language warning this episode. I'm, I'm on the edge with these characters now. They're, <laughs> they're pushing the fist over the edge. I am... <laughs> you know, we've got the marriage equality and debate. It's been going on forever. We've now got voluntary euthanasia debate in Victoria. We've got things happening in Northern Territory we'll talk about. We've got just madcap Christians just carrying on like pork chops all over Australia. It's as if, Scott, the southern states of the USA have been transported to our fair country and we're just we're dealing with a zombie invasion, a scrotum of religious <laughs> nutters. No sooner do you knock one down than another one bobs its head up saying the same stuff and just relentlessly charging on towards... It's. I'm actually just really angry with a lot of the shit that's going on. That's well, that's how I feel. Well, frankly, it's uh, it's hard to blame you for being angry. I mean, um, you know, we'll talk about it. But that uh, Archbishop and his address in the Sunday church service in Sydney that was outrageous. It was you outrageous. Know, so, dear listener, it was outrageous. I've, <laughs> you know. I've got a rec- I've got a recording of it. Let's play it because we'll talk about it. Okay, so, I'll, here we, here I'll we shut go. Up there. Yeah. yeah. But the state has no business telling us who we should love and how, sexually or otherwise, and for how long, let alone for life. To be validating and registering upholding or divorcing those relationships. Governments should, in general, keep out of the friendship business and out of the bedroom. The only kind of friendship the state has a proper interest in recognising and regulating is heterosexual marriage because that's what leads to children, new citizens, and gives them the best start in life. Do you see, dear listener, you know, can you understand? <laughs> Why? You know, let's, 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 let's just pick that apart, Harry. He said that the only thing the state has any business regulating in is heterosexual marriage. Okay, I disagree with him, but that's fine. You know, that's a view that's widely held across the country. However, what really sticks in my throat is that this is being preached by a man that has never even had, well, allegedly never had sexual relations with a woman, and he's not married to a woman. He's married to God, you know? It's ridiculous that he 
thinks that he should be able to preach from on high and get away with it. You know, we've got a link to the, an article here, and it includes a picture of this uh, Sydney Archbishop Anthony Fisher with, uh, I think it's a mitre, is what an Archbishop wears on the head, Scott, I think. I couldn't tell you. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And just, it's a you know, hat, anyway. Yeah, just dressed up in all the garb, and that sort of... You've got that staff that he's holding, too. Yes, and that whole speech, and we, in a civilised Western democracy in 2017, are having to listen and pay attention to just nutbags like this who are interfering <laughs> in the social order. It's just appalling that we are having to talk about guys like this. But anyway, let's, let's go through it. During his homily, quote... Government should, in general, keep out of the friendship business and out of the bedroom. Well, you're quite right, Archbishop Anthony Fisher. They should, and the purpose of this legislation is to make sure that they are. They do, exactly. But, you know, if you're going to say that, then the problem is that you, in the Catholic Church, are not staying out of people's bedrooms. So... If you're going to make that statement, you've got to follow it up by saying, of course, that's our patch. We're the ones in control of people's bedrooms, so stay out of our patch. Or acknowledge that you've been lurking in people's bedrooms and you should get out of them as well. Like, you can't just make a statement like that without acknowledging that that you're very guilty of, of doing the exact thing that you are accusing somebody else of who is innocent of that. This this whole episode of the podcast, Scott, um, I'm just going to... It's going to be called, you know, episode 118, The Pot Calling the Kettle Black, because <laughs> that is what will, is going on in this episode and in these articles where people guilty of something are wrongfully accusing other people of the exact same thing. It's incredibly frustrating. Mm. Incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Um, he goes on further down in that same article. It says Archbishop Fisher also expressed concerns for religious freedoms. You know, that's the whole butcher baker candlestick maker that we've talked about. You know, it's uh, yep. really annoying. But yeah. okay, I'm just going to do it in the order I've got them here. But I've got he also okay, said. I'll shut um, up. Yep. The only kind of friendship the state has a proper interest in recognising and regulating is heterosexual marriage because that's what leads to children, new citizens, and gives them the best start in life. Well, that is just clearly wrong. Plenty of studies have shown that children in, uh, you know, the children of same-sex couples do perfectly well and continue to do well, and that's just a statement of... You know, that's a fact that's completely wrong. But he can just say it. Then he goes on. In a culture which for all its putative open-mindedness is less and less tolerant of Christianity, how will we ensure in the years ahead that people in parishes, schools and other institutions are free to speak and practice their beliefs? How will we maintain a sense of who we are and what matters most to us? 
when some others barely tolerate us or even vilify and bully us. Once again, you, that the is Catholic the kettle Church, calling the pot black, yeah. are the ones bullying and vilifying others. They just want to get on and have nothing to do with you. They don't want anything to do with your stupid church. Just get out of the way. Mm. It is it you. Really, it really annoys me that you've got an Australian clergyman saying that. You know, you can, you can expect that sort of nonsense from a pulpit in a southern state in America. Yep. Not over here. No. It's Trump-like in its audacity and bravado that you mm. just say stuff that is completely wrong and, in fact, the total opposite of the truth, but you decide anyway. It's, mm. it's Trump-like what's going on here. He's got here, some may lose their jobs, promotions, businesses, political careers. What, like a gay math teacher who might be sacked at a Catholic school if they find mm. out he's gay? You know, mm. that's, that's, that's how it might feel. Anyway, Scott, um, I'm not sure if I sent you the same article. Was this the one where they're, um, they interviewed some people afterwards, after the sermon? Yeah, mm. and that was ridiculous, wasn't it? They had, um, well, it was insightful, I thought. Oh, it was. I mean, you had Liz from Brisbane, yeah. whose speech was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I think it actually defined marriage as opposed to love, Miss <laughs> Helen said. <laughs> I'm all for homosexuals and I'm all for gay love. But the definition there has to be was for a husband and a wife is to be able to procreate. Yeah, you know, they're, if they're not, you know, it's, anyway. So, so yeah, um, so that was Liz. The other one that I did find interesting was the Catholic nun, Sister Helen. Mm. who did not agree with the Archbishop. Mm. She respects his opinion. I think the Church may advise and direct people, but I really don't think the Church should be dogmatically ruling in things like that, Sister Helen said. I have friends in a homosexual relationship. They are committed to each other and they love each other. I think God is love and I'm okay with them committing to each other. Mm. I thought that was interesting. That was interesting. A couple of others who were interviewed, there was a Jackson Joyce who said, ultimately it's the decision of the government. And Hannah Harrison said... I think Archbishop Fisher should really think about the feelings of others and how it's going to affect their lives. So of the four people that were interviewed, one of them agreed with the Archbishop and three didn't. And I know it's a sample size of four, but it's probably, yeah. one hopes, an accurate reflection of of what the congregation was feeling. Well, um, that's what they're finding, is that you do have a small, small majority of the congregations are behind same-sex marriage. Yeah. They do actually believe in it. So, you know, it is... The statistics we've been reading in, in over the you know past weeks have been that uh, religious people are most likely to object to same-sex marriage, but even within them, the uh, majority are still in favour of it. So yes, the leadership exactly. of these churches is out of step That's with their... Cool. Completely flock. out of touch with their, with their flock, yeah. Mm, yeah. It's ridiculous. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, I, didn't, I just came across this article today. I didn't send it to you. It's from a lady, Anna Crine, and she was talking about um, this argument that it's about the children, um, 
So, you know, you've got this Archbishop Fisher saying that, you know, for children it's best to be in a heterosexual relationship, or parents in a heterosexual relationship. And Lyle Shelton, she quotes, is saying, all of us have desires and things that we would like to have in life, Shelton said. But if those desires, those adult desires, trump the rights of a, of a child, then I think we have to ask ourselves, are we really a civil society if we're prepared to override the needs of a child for the rights of an adult? So, you know... And, you know, all of that would make sense if, the, if you didn't have two dozen studies out there that are all peer-reviewed and that sort of thing that came back and said that the children that are raised by same-sex couples do as well, if not better, in any of the cases that they looked at. Yes, and that's sort of what um, uh, Penny Wong was saying, was, of course, same-sex couples love their children. But the author yeah. of this article was saying, why the hell have we got to say this and respond to this? All, all we need to say to these characters are two words. Royal Commission. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true. After you know, how many true, years yeah. of uh, stories of children being abused and these groups yeah. have the gall to come out and say that yeah. they're objecting to same-sex marriage because of their love of and care and concern for children. The gall yeah. of these people. Yeah. In, in a closing paragraph here, she says... Um, um, let's ask these religious heavy hitters who claim to care so much for the protection of children. What happened in your jurisdiction? What did you do? What are you doing? Where is your cap and why isn't it in your hand? That's, that's what we should be saying instead of, oh, there are studies showing that, you know, homosexual couples are perfectly capable of raising kids, we should be just turning around saying, don't even have to answer that. Look at you guys. Yeah. You're out of control yeah. when it comes to kids. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, hit the nail right on the head. That's all we have to do. Is, that's, all, that's all we should be doing is turning around to them and saying, Royal Commission. Yeah. You know? Yep. And that'll shut the bastards up. Yep. You know? Yep. Ah, oh, Scott. It's, it's depressing. And just the language of these guys... Talk, you know, the, the oh, goal of an archbishop. What I, what I find really depressing is that you've got senior members of the clergy that are saying this nonsense, and they're up there, and they're not even apologetic about it. They're up there just saying that this is what we're going to do and that sort of thing. And where was I headed with that? I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, what is even really ridiculous is that the numbers just don't back them up. You know, you don't have a majority of their own flock. You don't have a majority of the population on their side. Mm. They are speaking for a very small minority of the population. Mm. Mm. I just want to apologise to our children and grandchildren. Like, we're just leaving you a world where, where truth has just disappeared. Scott, I reckon, like, one of three things happens. Either... We're prevented from telling the truth because of offensive speech laws or we've got this moral relativism that renders all truth meaningless, like everyone's got their own truth, or like this archbishop, we've just got snake oil salesmen who mix distorted concepts of religious freedom and rights of children with a good dash of gall and bravado and 
and somehow managed to fool some of the public whose critical thinking skills have just atrophied or something like that. Like, it, it's just a disaster. What I don't think this couldn't have happened 20, 20 or 30 years ago. It's such, such... Well, you know, that's, um, that's what me and the better half were saying the other day because, um, you know, Holding the Man was um, showing on Friday night on SBS and we were watching that. What's and that? What's that, Joe? Holding the Man. Holding the Man. It was a movie um, about the uh, Tim Conagrave and John Kaleo. They were two lovers and that sort of stuff, and they got infected with HIV and they died. Right. Anyway, it was a, it was quite a good movie. Anyway, um, one of the things that we both said to each other: Don't you miss the warm, loving care of the seventies? <laughs> because right. back in the nineteen seventies. <laughs> There were two guys that were caught by their mates getting it on. And there were four blokes down there at a, uh, at a study vac um, holiday home and that sort of stuff. And three of them didn't give a toss. One of them did, but he even came round in the end. Anyway. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, I cut you off. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just well, holding, I get, I, yeah, holding the man. If our, if our viewers haven't seen it, if our listeners haven't seen it, then grab it on um, SBS and have a look at it. It's really good. Was it Australian? It was Australian. Yeah, yeah okay. it, was, it was a book that was written by um, Tim Conagrave. Yep. Yeah. Yep. See, yeah. we we have, you know, you're saying that's the seventies. Yeah, the seventies was when there was when the, when the movie started. Yes. That, yeah. that see that was before Howard came into power and gave these religious nutters, um, you know, a platform to stand on and, and some legitimacy. Like, yes. can, could you imagine... I, I honestly think that if Howard News hadn't happened, we would be a very different country. Uh, I mean, could you imagine this debate with Paul Keating as Prime Minister? No. He, 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 no. Well, it wouldn't happen for starters. He'd, he'd show leadership, but... When yeah, numbskulls exactly. like this bobbed their head up, he'd be just laying into them, no holds barred, mm-hmm. and just giving it to them. Yeah. Nobody's giving it to these guys. It's, oh, nah. they're getting away with murder when it comes to the truth because nobody's yeah. giving it to them. Oh, mm. it's, just, it's just making me angry, Scott. Mm. Anyway, we'll uh, give it to them here on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I find it therapeutic, and I feel a lot better at the end. So, well, that's the main thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, here's an oh, article sure. from uh, dyingforchoice.com and um, titled "Religious Leaders Determined to Alienate Their Flocks." Obviously, on the topic of assisted dying. Um. The writer says that Anglican and Catholic bishops seem to be going out of their way to alienate their constituencies, and as a result, the writing's on the wall for the um, religious groups. Uh, He gives some statistics about religious affiliation declining, and that's in relation to the census. And he... Scott, have you got this one? Did I send you this one? I think you did, but I, no. I don't have it in front of me, so okay. I printed it out. Anyway, I apologise. No, no yeah, worries. Um, but he also came out with these really interesting statistics from Australian Election Study, AES, of 2016. And this talks about the weak religious commitment 
So not only is religious affiliation dropping, but the nature of the affiliation is getting weaker. And in this study, they basically categorised religious people into um, notionals, occasionals, regular or devout. So a notional is someone who um, identifies with a denomination but never attends services. Um, so that's like half of Catholics. Yeah. Um, occasionals would be somebody uh, several times a year or less often attend services. A regular would be somebody who attends monthly or more often and a devout would be weekly or more often. And then um, goes through the different denominations um, as to what's showing up there. And, you know, no surprises, of course, that notionals and occasionals make up the majority of um, each denomination, whether it's Catholic, Anglican, uniting, um, even other non-Christians, so, you know, presumably um, Jews and Buddhists and, and Muslims. Hindus and, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's one category here, Scott, where the devout is just exceptionally large compared to the other denominations, and that is the one that's... Oh, the Christians. Yes. Have you got it in front of you, or you just remember that? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah. I do have it in front of me, yeah. I yeah. thought that was really interesting, that... Basically, when well, it came to Catholic, yeah, Anglican... Yeah, hill songs and those sorts of places that it, seem to have a regular turn up every week. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the Catholic, the traditional churches have got 15%, 9%, 10% uh, as devout, whereas other Christians, which would be your hill songs, have got 35% devout. Ooh. That was really interesting. Um and uh, further on in the article, when they talk about um, do you agree with the introduction of assisted dying legislation, um, most uh, people in most denominations are happy to have assisted dying legislation be introduced. But again, the category that's out of sync with the others is the other religion category, these sort of Hillsong, Pentecostals. I can't think of anything, any other way of describing them, Scott. Can you? The, the mm. other, or Mormons? No. Actually, Mormons would be another one, so um, mm. would fit into that. So not only are they more devout, but they are also more likely to disagree with this, uh, assisted dying legislation. Um, so... It's a good article, that one, with lots of statistics in it that he's dragged out from a survey I've never heard of before and a similar thing in relation to marriage equality where this other Christian group, who are the evangelicals outside the traditional sort of churches, are again um, most likely you know, out of whack with everybody in terms of their opposition to same-sex marriage. So, yeah. They're the ones we've got to worry about. That's that's the sort of introduction of the American style, um, you know, form of Jesus worship that just wasn't around thirty years ago. Scott wasn't around 
when you and I were young. Oh, not, no, it was around, but it wasn't. It wasn't all that popular. I think. No. Um, but I, I don't know what the what's made them so popular. Is it the prosperity gospel or whatever it is? But it's it's ridiculous how fast they are growing. Yeah. And they are putting a lot of the traditional religions out of business, aren't they? Mm. So. Interesting, the statistics with notionals, occasionals, regular and devout. Did you like those, Scott? Oh, I did, yeah. It was very interesting. Didn't have um, any problem with people being divided up into that sort of <laughs> categorisation? <laughs> dear listener, let me just play... Dear listener, let me just play a little snippet from, I think, episode 54 or something like that. Scott uh, didn't get any notice about this but he's fallen into my trap. I can't agree with you on that, I'm sorry, but um, I understand where you're coming from, but I can't agree with you on that. You wouldn't think that they would agree with me? They would say... Oh, Oh, they would agree with you, yeah, Yeah. for sure. They would agree with you, but I don't think that I I couldn't agree with you. You wouldn't wouldn't be prepared to categorise Muslims? No, I'm not prepared to categorise anyone, actually. I I mean, uh, I find um, one of the most distasteful things about religion is how it divides us into groups. <laughs> and then we're going to divide, the, then we're going to subdivide the groups into subgroups. I, I find that um, really distasteful. But, but only according to their beliefs. Well, yeah, I know, but it's still, you're still subdividing people into groups. And uh, I find that um, reprehensible. <laughs> yeah, am, I, am I reprehensible, Scott? No, I'm not saying you're reprehensible. I find the uh, the the, the uh, suggestion reprehensible. Mm, that was in response to my proposal that yeah, to categorise Muslims. Correct. Yeah, and that's fine because you just what you've got here is one document that um, is from Dying for Choice and that sort of stuff, where they have categorised religious observance. Yes, I don't have a problem with that well, for but... one document. However, what you wanted to do was have that uh, referred to for immigration and all that sort of thing. Well, just for discussion purposes, because in terms, dear listener, in terms of uh, Muslims, I was saying that the word Muslim um, is just so broad and encompasses such a wide spectrum of potential belief that it's actually meaningless. And so what I was proposing was a social Muslim, Muslim light, a by-the-book Muslim, and a killing-can-be-okay Muslim as a means of categorising people so that when we're talking about Muslims, we can talk about, you know, what sort of Muslim we're talking about because it is an incredibly wide spectrum and people's don't, you know, the, the category... Uh, is too wide. So, so Scott, you're you're saying that because it's in relation to one particular faith, then that's not no, that's not, not okay. It's in relation to one particular faith. I'm saying that it's it's in relation. That article was written about all faiths, and it was yeah. breaking them up into you know, occasionals and all that sort of thing, mm-hmm. which I don't have a problem with because it's just their observance that you are. Rating there, mm-hmm. saying are you a regular, are you occasional, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That is how how often they observe their religion. That is something that you can easily monitor and easily uh, transcribe into a number, and you can put that down and that sort of thing. 
that's easy to categorise people on. What you're asking us to do is to take a look at someone's set of beliefs and say, well, you're a by-the-book Muslim, you're a killing-can-be-okay Muslim, and you're a social Muslim. Mm. So that, that was the difference, I think. Well, that, well, actually, um, I wouldn't actually even say it about a particular person. I would simply, in terms of our discussions about religion and people, say, you know... Um, I have a problem with... So I might say, for example, I have a problem with Muslims because of this. But with more specific language, I could say, look, I don't have a problem with social and, and social Muslims and Muslims light, but I have a problem with a by-the-book Muslim because of this reason. You know, it's, it's more... It allows you to be more specific in your criticisms so that rather than lumping all Muslims in for criticism then I'm actually able to exclude some. And the same for praise. Like, rather than praising all Muslims, some of whom don't deserve it, I could be more specific <laughs> in my praise. So it's a, it's a nod to, to being specific. <laughs> all right. Look, you've, you've, been, hanging you around the, you've been hanging around you the 12th man too long. Have, I, you I, might have backed me into a corner there. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Think about that. Think about that. It's actually... <laughs> uh, dear listener, I hope you enjoyed the repeats from last week. It was interesting, Scott, to hear some of our thoughts from a year ago and Donald Trump was, in yeah. particular, where we're sort of going, well, you know, well, I was proposing, well, how much damage can one man do? <laughs> <laughs> actually, tonight the better half said that um, he'd take an aim at, aim at his deputy. Oh, has he? Mike Pence, apparently, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, God. But apparently he said something like, oh, you know, because he, he, he apparently welcomed someone in the Oval Office who'd just been meeting with Pence, and he says, oh, did he make you pray? You know? Oh, did he? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's one thing that we, Trump might, might be on our side for. So, anyway. So. Uh, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about Donald Trump um, in a little yeah. while. So, um, dear listener, um, in Brisbane... There's an event, uh, Public Christianity in a Post-Christian World, and uh, it's got our friend John Dixon and uh, a couple of other nutters, and it's on Monday the 30th of October at 7.30pm, Flockton Street, Evenon Park, and a few of us are going to go and just have a listen. There's a little bit of an excursion. We haven't been on an excursion since our Hillsong excursion which we can now remember was a year ago. Um, it was a year ago, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, 30th of October, if you're a listener in the Brisbane area and you're going to go along, um, make contact with us and uh, we'll make sure that we say hello when we're there. So um, you got a bulletproof vest or a <laughs> asbestos coat or something to put on, Scott? I don't think you'll need that. You know, you can mm. just... Uh well, you said you're not planning on making a scene. No, I won't, unless I'm provoked. Exactly. Mm, I, surely nothing could happen that would provoke me. Oh, I don't know about that. Mm. We'll shall wait and see. Yeah. Here's another reason why I was just angry this week, Scott. Wealthy private schools set for funding windfall. Yeah. Now, that is bloody ridiculous, isn't it? You know... It's really crazy 
and I apologise, I can't see it, but there was somewhere that it said that um, disability funding used to rank used to be ranked by doctors. Now it's based on a teacher's opinion. Yes. So, so what we can see happening here, gentle listener, is that teachers have been inflating what uh, their disability workload is in order to get more money out of the system, which is disgraceful. Mm, so the education system will provide extra funding for schools if they have kids with disabilities and... Um, yes, it's moved into a self-assessment situation. And lo and behold, some Victorian independent schools are reporting that 26% of their students have a disability. So some of these schools... Yeah, that is... You know. Yeah. So... Lauriston Girls School is going to get an uh, is going to gain three point two million dollars. Bialik is going to get an extra two point seven. St Catharines one million. Christchurch Grammar four hundred ninety two. These are increases. You know, this is one of our arguments against private schools: is that you know the public sector is left with the difficult cases and the more expensive kids to educate and um, so yeah it, as by comparison so we've got independent schools claiming 26% disability meanwhile in the same state in Victoria state schools are reporting 17% and Catholic schools 13% so mm. there's something funny going on here Scott <laughs> yeah and you know, it, it happened right away when they well, it didn't take very long, but once you read into it, you realise that you know they took the, the hands of the, they took it out of the hands of the assessors, and they put it into the hands of the teachers. Yeah, well, of course you are going to end up with silly buggers being fired, don't you? Apparently, some instances of disability, for example, asthma, doesn't entail additional government funding, but. Well, one would hope not. But really, have we reached the point that an independent school? Other, you know, there's not a special needs school, just an ordinary independent school can claim a quarter of their students have a disability. Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Oh, just enough to make you angry. So, of course, the public school system and the Catholic school system are not happy and they have united together in a rare display of unity to question what's been going on. And... Um, the Catholic Executive Director, Stephen Elder, described the new disability data as, quote, dodgy, and he says, no-one believes the new disability data is credible. Ah, Scott, if... I would hope that police are investigating with whether there's something funny going on here. Not saying there is, dear listener, in the sense of that somebody's guilty of any crime, but... There's enough smoke here for a police investigation to see what's going on. I mean, if you cook the books to get government money, and that seems extraordinary on the face of it, it is worth an investigation, and the police can go in and then declare afterwards whether there's something going on or not going on. But we could declare whether or not there's fraud involved. Mm, yeah. Dear listener. 
Not too long ago, you looked at your podcast app and saw that a new episode of the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast was available to download. Did you silently think to yourself, wait, a new podcast? I like listening to those guys. If so, then you qualify as a potential donor to the podcast. Your donation will help cover some expenses, but more importantly, your donation tells the boys that they are on the right track and to keep up the good work. A dollar a show is all they ask. Go to their website at ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and click on the donations link. Adani coal mine, like Four Corners, I think, did something recently about Adani yeah, coal yeah, mine. Yeah. It's yeah. it's like the submarine situation. It's yeah, it, you can just tell it's one of those things that we should just not let happen. Exactly. Um, but you can rest assured, Scott, because faith communities. Uh, have joined a nationwide day of action last weekend. And what do you do in a day of action? You pray. <laughs> Correct. Prayerful <laughs> protest to stop a Darnie coal mine from the Catholic news. Yeah. Um, people of faith also participated in dozens of massive stop a Darnie events across the country as a Darnie pledges to start work on in October on the uh, a groundswell of community opposition is building in a way which is reminiscent of the Franklin Dam protests in 1983. Well, good luck to them, but I don't think prayer's the answer. You know, it's um, Adani should be stopped. It is crazy that the amount of water they're planning on using, and you know, it's a parched part of the bloody country. You know, it's frigging criminal the amount of water they're planning on pinching. Mm. And well, and the amount of money from our coffers that they're wanting as a loan to get the thing up because they can't get a loan from from a normal bank because they're not crazy enough to lend it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, faith groups have gathered for um, a prayer vigil, so that's what they're doing. And just to show Scott to the dear listener that we're even-handed, I came across an article about prayer. Um, titled The Case for Thoughts and Prayers Even If You Don't Believe in God This is by Caitlin Beatty and um, first thing you do with an article like this dear listener is where is this person from? (laughs) Turn to the back Uh, Caitlin Beatty editor at large with Christianity Today magazine and the author of A Woman's Place That sets the scene a woman's place is where in the kitchen, isn't well, it? Well, one suspects that's where it'll end up. <laughs> at least at least this one's a bit easier, that she's editor at large with Christianity Today. It's these it's these think tanks and these uh, organizations like Yes, yeah. like Notre Dame University. You think, oh what the university, mm. like some credibility there. It's gonna be reasonable, yeah. Yeah. So at least this one Christianity Today editor, she says that um, this is in relation to the shooting in America and people were saying how sick they are of the thoughts and prayers um, platitudes and she was saying, oh, hang on a minute, thoughts and prayers are actually worthwhile. Um, prayer is not inaction. I would argue that it is perhaps the most powerful form of action you can engage on in a crisis, whether you believe in God or not. And she says, 
that neuroscientific research conducted over the past few decades has found that prayer can radically reshape the human brain, leading to increased focus and peace. In the 1990s, so over 20 years ago, neuroscientist Andrew Newberg famously studied the brain scans of 150 people from different religions, from Franciscan nuns to to Buddhist monks. He found those that engaged deeply in prayer for 12 minutes a day over a couple of months had activated frontal lobes and quiet parietal lobes. The result? Those who prayed regularly were more focused, less anxious and felt more connected to other people. Yeah, but that would just be, you know, if you've got a strong belief in a delusion, (laughs) you know, you're going to have all the positive things that come with it, aren't you? You are, and well, you know, a study of 150 people uh, over 20 years ago, you know, 150 is not enough for a legitimate study, let's face it. It's just, it, 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 it's hard to imagine all of the necessary variables were, were taken away in that study of 150 people. But anyway, yeah. um, uh, goes on to say, she also equates meditating with, with prayer. And uh, so anyway, people will relax if they're praying and then they'll be able to deal with the crisis um, better. And if you actually believe in God as an interventionist God, then you get the bonus of tapping him on the shoulder at the same time. So there you go. Just for even-handedness, dear listener, take that on board. Make of it what you will. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll consider it a pile of rubbish. <laughs> it's got me. You know, why was I so angry? Here's another article. The No campaign got a million dollars from the Sydney Anglican Diocese to fight against same-sex marriage. <laughs> See, here's another one. This is the um, Anglican Archbishop of Sydney, Glenn Davies. Now, I saw his speech when he announced that one million bucks. And he didn't apologise for it or anything like that. He was just unashamedly announcing that he'd spent $1 million of church funds on a donation to the Coalition for Marriage. Mm. Mm. You know, this isn't a, you know, he's not from one of the nuffy, loopy religions. He's from Anglicanism. Mm. (sighs) Just, you know, the article says... Both sides of the debate, you know, the yes and the no, have sought to downplay how much money they are receiving. Damien Wilde, the CEO of um, uh, Coalition for Marriage uh, Partner, Marriage Alliance, said um, in a recent email after the diocese made its one million donation that the the Coalition for Marriage didn't have the same money as the Equality Campaign. So the religious groups are saying that they don't have as much money as <laughs> as, um, as the Yes, as, campaign. As the yes yeah. campaign. Quote, we, we don't have that sort of funding at our fingertips. Please, just... This is again where truth is just cast aside. The religious groups have just coffers overflowing with money. 
Yeah. Like this one million, Scott, it didn't it, – it came from a special fund within the church. Um, it came from um, the, endow- the, the endowment, the, dios- the diocesan – the diocesan endowment run by the Glebe Administration Board. So it didn't come from uh, churchgoers' donations. So this particular fund, it grew uh, by 9% last year, which was $13.7 million. That was the growth. (laughs) Yeah. So $1 million out of an annual income of 13.7 that they can lash on this. That's serious money. Yeah. Serious money. And they'll say, oh, but we don't have much money. We're qu- quite poor. <sighs> it, yeah. I am, yeah, anyway. Meanwhile, they go... I'm livid about this because, you know, at the same time they gave $5,000 to you know, anti-domestic violence. <laughs> it's, you know? It shows the priorities, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. You know, it, it's really, it really makes me physically sick. And I asked a question on Facebook. I said, why the hell is the fact that I may wish to one day take advantage of the Federal Government Marriage Act and get married in a civil ceremony, not a church ceremony, a civil ceremony, worth 200 times as much as um, domestic violence? You know? These people have got yeah. uh, their, their morals are completely out of whack. Oh, it is, yeah. It's absolutely outrageous what they've, what they've done. Hmm. Uh, in all of this came across uh, another quote in this article. The Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus is recorded as saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke chapter 12, verse 34. If you're going to quote the Bible, that's one of the more accurate ones. You know. um, clearly, that's where their heart is in relation to stopping marriage equality because it's where they're putting most of their money. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Meanwhile, Scott, uh, advocates for the no campaign, they've already given up, haven't they? And now they're working on protecting religious freedom. And exactly. Asking and, um, for special, is, special dispensations. Go on. Yeah, that is, that is what I've heard. I have heard that um, they have already realised it's lost and they've now gone away into the little bunker, Eric Abet, Tony Abbott, and that sort of stuff, and they are drafting an alternative to Dean Smith's bill, mm. which apparently will give religious freedom to everyone. Mm. So we're no longer going to have this case of uh, the nonsense of the church being able to say what you can and can't do and that sort of thing. We're going to have this second nonsense where the situation will be that... Uh, what's the word I'm groping for, that if you wave a magic book and say, well, God says and I sincerely believe this, then you should be exempt from discrimination laws. That is complete and total bollocks. It is absolute nonsense. And I really hope that Dean Smith's bill does get up. Anyway. So, so that's where we're up. This is what's happening next. This is where the debate's heading, dear listener. So... You know, the um, the survey will get up, the yes vote will win, and um, the scrotum of religious nutters will be demanding um, special, well, they'll be calling it um, demanding protection of their religious freedom because 
Uh, there's a character called uh, Liberal Senator Dean Smith who has already drafted a private member's bill which changes the Act to allow same-sex marriage and creates a new category of... Uh, basically confirms that religious ministers will not have to perform a ceremony if it's against their religion and creates a special class of marriage celebrant who will also not have to perform a ceremony if they don't want to. But it is completely silent when it comes to bakeries and florists and photographers and people like that. And mm. the Labor Party has come out and said, well, that Dean Smith private members bill, that's the one that we're going to push. And, of course, the religious nutters are going to be saying, oh, well, we need all these special exemptions for private businesses to protect their religious freedom. And mm. guys like Peter Dutton and all the rest of them and the Corey Bernardis and the George Christensen's and all those are going to be arguing now over the, over the, over the bill, trying to insert special uh, exemptions under the name of protecting religious freedom. Oh, that annoys me, Scott, when people talk about religious freedom. It is a misuse of the word freedom. It is, because all it is is just asking for them to get the freedom to discriminate. You know, that's all that is. Mm. It's really... It gives me the irritation. It really does. If you're in an argument with somebody and you really don't want to think too hard, dear listener, on this one, just say, well, it's really a matter of competing interests between religious freedom and marriage freedom. Or yeah. it's really a matter of competing interest between religious freedom and assisted dying freedom. Or it's a matter of religious freedom versus secular freedom. Like, if they can take the word freedom and, and pop it into uh, the description of their cause, even though it's got nothing to do with freedom, but to dress it up as freedom, and, you know, the other part of the debate can do exactly the same thing. And if they say, oh, hang on. That's not marriage freedom. That's quite different to freedom. Well, this isn't religious freedom either. So, oh, it's so disingenuous, these people. So, that's where we're heading with that. Um, uh, Scott, uh, in these dark days, Scott, the iron, <laughs> the iron fist velvet glove secular index is just going to become more and more important. <laughs> <laughs> We've added a few in recent times, dear listener. Scott, you gave me about three whose names I can't remember, but I've got them in front of me if you like. Oh, okay, so just give us a quick Russell rundown. Broadbent. Yep, he's not a he's not a he's not a part of the greater of matters, but he does hold religious convictions. He's defined behind the defence of the Lord's Prayer being said at the opening of Parliament. Yes. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. He's outspoken in his defence of asylum seekers and whatnot. Uh, Ross Broadbent was adamant the government should continue with the plebiscite option as critical of the postal survey. All in all, I think he should be marked down for supporting the saying of the Lord's Prayer, but not too far down because he didn't judge those who stayed outside during the prayer's recital. So I'm going to suggest four for him. Yep. Gay Brotman, uh, she's the husband, uh, She's the wife of uh, Chris Yulman, the uh, the ABC political journalist. Oh, is she? Yeah. Okay, right. Yes, she is. Yeah, uh, she's a Labor member for Canberra, I believe. 
Yeah, seat of Canberra. Yep. Um, she says you don't need religion to have a solid framework of strong moral values. That's a good I believe start. religion is a personal matter, I, and I respect everyone's right to religious freedom. Everyone is informed and guided in different ways, and I have my own set of values that guide me and informed my life experience. Um, I couldn't find anything to suggest she was either strongly held secular values, nor was there anything that suggested she hindered them. But you go back to that original quote, uh, I'd say a six even, you know, maybe a five or a six. Yeah, I'll put it down for a six. Just back to Russell Broadbent, you said a four, yeah. but when I was reading stuff yeah. about him that you'd sent, I, I, I relegated him to a three because a three. he was quite critical of the secular movement. Uh, in okay. in I a ABC yeah. interview, so it wasn't actually written in the article, but there was an interview where you could listen to it, and in that he was okay. he was critical of the secular movement. So he's down for a three. Yep. Okay. No worries. And and was Scott Buckholz? Buckholz, I think it's Buckholz. How do you say it? I couldn't find anything on him. Yep. Um, he, look, other than he's right on the Tony Abbott side of the leadership debate, yep. you know, that was about it. Yep. Uh, I suppose we put him down as a neutral five. Yeah, well, I don't know. Well, here's what, If all we could say is that you're against same-sex marriage, it's, it, it's hard to imagine it's for any reason other than religious reasons. From the statistics we are reading that, uh, you know, in relation to... Um, people's beliefs on same-sex marriage and their religious beliefs, the correlations are so so high, aren't they? That they are virtually yeah, the only people. True. You know, there are a handful, but for, for, for almost almost all of them, the ones who are objecting to same-sex marriage are doing it for a religious reason, pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, very true. so you know. On that basis, somebody like this guy, who all we know about is an, ob- is an objection to same-sex marriage, I'm going to put him down as a four. Just You can't okay. give him a neutral, yeah. I reckon, because the, the chances are highly likely that that objection is religiously motivated and that's an imposition on the rest of the world of your religious belief. So, you know, here at the Iron Fist Velvet Glove, Scott, we're not going to let guys like that get away with it. So. <laughs> If it turns out he's got reasons that are non-religious, we'll upgrade him to a five. But for the moment, that's, yeah. what, he, that's what he gets. So You get the four. Fair um, enough. Um, I will continue with the next three for next week, yep. um, unless any of them are WA members that I come across, because I noticed one of the listeners said that he was going to look into all the WA members. Yes, Matt's going to on somebody else as well. So, guys, it's quite possible that you'll find nothing on people. If you do... Just let us know. Say there's nothing on them, Ooh. and we'll put them down as a neutral five. But you know what? This debate about uh, um, marriage equality and religious freedom and its protection is going to get some out of the woodwork. I think it's yeah. going to expose yeah, people. A whole lot of out of the woodwork. I'm really yes. looking forward to this. I'm really looking forward to them arriving back in Canberra after the uh, after the after the survey has been won. Yep. I'm really looking forward to them turning up in Canberra because then we're going to find out what the hell they're all going to say. Yeah, yep. so it's going to certainly flush them out. Um, Absolutely. Oh, Scott, it's been a while, but um, we have not had a you-can't-be-curious moment for a while. <laughs> oh, dear listener, let me play my sting. 
Thank you, John McEnroe. And of course, it's You Cannot Be Curious. And, um, and apparently, you can be serious when it comes to Nick Curious. Yeah. He's, he's got so much talent. He's got more talent in his little finger <laughs> than, 22 years old. than most of the guys on the professional tour. And yet, yeah. he is just wasting it. And since. Since we last did a proper podcast, he's quit his first round match at Shanghai Masters in an apparent protest against the umpiring. He received two code violations and expressed his dismay at the chair umpire. Like, the the thing about tennis now, Scott, is like you've got that line um, Hawkeye system which tells you whether a ball is in or out with, with no... Errors. So you just appeal and you know whether it's in or out. So there's nothing to yeah. argue about anymore, but Kyrgios exactly. manages to find a way. Mm. It's just... A, and here's the thing. Uh, when you look at any of these articles about him or on his Facebook page, he still has got incredible support from people who say, keep it up, Nick, you're going to be great. Don't worry about the knockers. You're going fine. You're a good guy. I love you. All this sort of stuff from tennis fans in Australia. Nick Kyrgios is just a tennis version of Archbishop Fisher or, or Donald Trump. It, it just You can say or do whatever you like and the tribe will stick with you. It's just... It seems to be what happens. Well, you know, if you read this article, it's... It, it, it appears that he stormed off the court because of a petulant disagreement with the umpire. Mm. You know, and, and that was... A, a, I don't even think McEnroe ever walked off, did he? I'm, I'm, uh, no, I don't think he ever walked off, no. but no. Um, I mean, he always argued with them, but he never walked off. Yeah. Um, I'm going to the Brisbane International Tennis in January, and yeah. apparently Nick Kyrgios is going to be playing. And oh, really? Dear listener, I make a commitment here and now. <laughs> if it is on the day that I'm watching, and if he spits the dummy and walks off without completing the match or clearly uh, throws in the towel and doesn't try, I am going to sue for a refund of part of my ticket price. I give you that commitment now, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Nick, here's what we're saying. I'm going to award a point against you, Mr. McEnroe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. It's ridiculous. Mm. Do I have he's a only 22 years old, and you're right, he's got more talent in his, in his little finger than most of the other guys on the tour, mm. and yet he's spinning the dummy like that. Mm. It's absolutely mind-numbingly stupid. Anyway. And the people who are still supporting are even stupider, but there you go. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, Donald Trump, not sure if I sent you this one, this article, um, I don't think it actually... It's... Um, uh, I hate everyone in the White House. Trump seethes as advisers fear the president is unravelling. No, uh, but I did mm. read it last week. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, I can't remember exactly what happened, but anyway. Um, okay. 
It was rather amusing, though, wasn't it? Well, yes. Several people close to the president have said in private that Trump is unstable, losing a step and is unravelling. And he vented to his longtime security chief, I hate everyone in the White House. There are a few exceptions, but I hate them. Um, here's, <laughs> don't worry, Donald. They hate you as well, yeah. even more. Um, here's the interesting bit from this. Uh, some West Wing advisers were worried that Trump's behaviour could cause the Cabinet to take extraordinary constitutional measures to remove him from office. Several months ago, according to two sources with knowledge of the conversation, former Chief Strategist Steve Bannon told Trump that the risk to his presidency wasn't, was not impeachment, but rather the 25th Amendment the provision by which a majority of the Cabinet can vote to remove the President. When Bannon mentioned the 25th Amendment, Trump said, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dear listener, so we've already run through impeachment on a previous episode, which you can uh, refer to at your leisure, but there's another way of getting rid of Trump, which is the 25th Amendment. And uh, this was adopted in February 1967. And this is the one. So impeachment is if the president does some sort of crime or misdemeanour that means Congress gets together and sacks him. But uh, this particular 25th Amendment is if the um, president... um, is incapable um, of performing his duties, basically um, for health reasons, um, which could be physical or mental. And it's a situation where the, um, the vice president and a majority of what's effectively the cabinet, so that's not many people, uh, yeah. can get together and say, right, he's completely nutters and off his chops, and the president's, the vice president's taking over. And uh, at that point, they can take over. And if the president objects, then it goes on to the House of Representatives um, to decide by two-thirds vote um, if they want to confirm his removal for that reason. So Steve Bannon reckons... Uh, he's most likely to go because of that, where they just say, you're nutters, and you have to go, rather than an impeachment. So it's nice to know there's another opportunity. Well, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that, but um, that's very interesting, isn't it? Mm, mm. Mm. Dear listeners, thank you to our patrons, Roberta, Ayami, Sean, Alex, Wayno, Jason, Grant, John T, Craig, Janelle, Al, John A and Ken. Good on you for supporting us. I'd previously mentioned people who give us feedback. I think I forgot to mention Simon, of course, who did the book review with me and Matt in WA who has given some feedback on different times. So um, thank you everyone who pitches in and helps. Scott, we were just mentioning before we started our Facebook likes, we've been just stagnant on 195 for I don't know how long. And we've good news, dear listener. Drum roll, please. We're now up to 
197. 197, are we now? 197, yeah. Oh, I've picked up two. Yes. Come on, dear listener. If, if you've been listening to this podcast and you just get it downloaded and you don't really pay attention to Facebook, just hop on and get us over the 200 line just to make us feel good. Because we need it, dear listener. Like, when I started this episode and I said, I'm angry and I'm pissed and, like, well, here's another reason. Tony Abbott says climate change action is like trying to appease the volcano gods. You know, um, I think Julie Bishop said it beautifully when she said he's loopy or, or nuppy or something like that. Um, Did she say that? Well, I don't think she actually said it, but she certainly, um, she certainly in a roundabout way said he was nutty. She asked him for an explanation as to why his opinion has changed from when he was Prime Minister to when he's no longer Prime Minister. And, um, you know, this is the thing that's, that's really annoying, that Turnbull is allowing his government to implode, when if he turned his guns on Abbott and his little clique of followers, I'm sure he would survive. You know, I'm yep. convinced of it, actually, yep. that if he... If he turned his gun on and that sort of stuff and said, look, if you don't like the Liberal Party, you can join the Australian Conservatives. They'll have you, but watch out next election because none of you will be coming back, you know? Mm. And it is ridiculous because the policy prescription that Abbott is describing is not going to fly in the election, in, in, the, uh, in the electorate. The electorate has moved on. The electorate has moved on. The electorate has now accepted that a carbon price was the right thing to do. But he's still mired in the past. He's still got his head firmly entrenched in the sand. And he's now come out and basically said that climate change is crap. You know, he has... Where was it? He said the scientific consensus isn't a consensus. He says 99% of scientists believe is a scientific truth determined by votes rather than the facts. I mean, the man's an idiot. He's an absolute moron that he would come out and say something like that and expect to be taken seriously. Well, he but, doesn't... You know, he's he, he, that are converted and that sort of thing too. But anyway, sorry. He doesn't, he doesn't offer any other alternative theory of climate change. Like, he just says, oh, well... the volcano gods, Trevor. You well, well, sacrifice goats to the volcano uh, gods. But he just says, well, 99% of scientists believe, well, that's, that's, that doesn't mean it's the fact. I mean, they could all be wrong. And, you know, technically he's correct. But he doesn't propose a theory and say, you know, those scientists uh, have not taken into account this particular uh, scientific fact and that is why they're wrong. He's just said, well, there's only 99% and that's, you know... Can't say they're right. Well, unless you're going to propose the alternative theory as to why they're wrong, then you've pretty much got to go with the 99%, you know. Exactly, yeah. You know, at one stage, everyone thought the world was flat and it would have been okay for somebody to get up and say, well, just because 99% of scientists say the world is flat doesn't mean that it is. But you'd probably at that point propose an alternative theory and say, well, actually, I think it's a large globe and... It, it all yeah. works like this, and people could go, oh, well, actually, that might work. <laughs> you just, so if you're going to poo-poo 99%, at least come up with your alternative theory. So that's exactly. the why they're wrong. Um, 
that uh, family first senator from Victoria who's gone now? I can't think what his name is, but um, he was the guy that first um, brought climate change scepticism into the real world, into the marketplace of ideas. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, and I can't even remember what his name was, but he actually proposed different opinions as to what was causing the climate change and that sort of stuff. Now, his opinions were very easily knocked down and that sort of thing, but at least he came up with something, you know. Mm. I, I don't know why I'm so angry. Maybe it's just because, you know, it just embarrasses me that we had this man as a Prime Minister and we have to admit to it. So that's well, what makes me angry. I think there's angry. probably a fair amount of truth in that. It is mm. embarrassing to think that he was our Prime Minister. You know, at least we can you laugh know, at yeah. America with Trump, but when, when Abbott pops his head up, it actually is an uncomfortable reminder that we made a similar mistake. So that's what I... That's probably what makes me angry, I think. Well, it wouldn't surprise me, but, you know, it, you know, it was ridiculous that, you know, the ABC London Bureau were not allowed to into the venue to hear the speech to report on it. Mm. You know, it's... Um, Very Trump-like as well. Exactly. It was, you know, it was told that speech was a non-media event. Mm. Well, if you're going to be saying such things, it's no wonder it's a non-media event. Mm. Actually, anyway. he, he did make one point. He said um, climate change itself is probably doing good, or at least more good than harm. And um, we... I tell that to the people of Puerto Rico. Yeah, well, we actually did, you know, it, it's probably 50 episodes or so ago now, Scott, but I recall some scientific study that said that global warming was actually beneficial up to about 2070 because of the increased agricultural production that it caused, etc., etc. So, do you remember that? I do remember that vaguely. Yeah. I couldn't, think what the extra, I couldn't remember exactly what was said, though. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, yeah, that, uh, that there were actually beneficial effects from global warming up till that point. Um, so he, he was correct, you know, in a sense, on that score. But just the whole quote here, primitive people once killed goats to appease the volcano gods. We are more sophisticated now but are still sacrificing our industries and our living standards to the climate gods to little more effect. This is a man yeah, who goes to church would... with, you know, a priest holding up a wafer of bread and transubstantiating it into the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and he's, yeah. he's, he's poking fun at, at the volcano gods. Yeah. It, it's really ridiculous. You know, it's... Um... What's particularly galling about this entire article is that um, he's put himself out there as if he's got the answers to it all, and yet he's he's just recycling the same nonsense over and over again. It's really, really annoying. Mm. Mm, in summary, it's not good. Not good. Not good. Not good. Not good. It's good, except it's not good. Thanks, Donald. <laughs> no, it's not good at all. No, you know, and I agree with you. It is very embarrassing when you think that that man used to occupy the lodge. In fact, it's more than not you good. 
So it's good or bad? They said, not good. I said, oh, this is a disaster. Yeah, it's a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, clearly, I've had yeah. too much time on my hands, dear listener. You'll hear that sting a few more times, let me assure you. Um, oh, um, so prior to the last show, got some great feedback from uh, Bobby, one of our patrons, and she suffers a bit of insomnia, and um, she sent us a message. Uh, great show, challenging, interesting, and a laugh or two thrown in. It's now 2.45am and I can now sleep knowing you guys are on top of all the important issues. Bobby, you just... <laughs> I started off depressed and angry, but comments like that, uh, that's just put a spring in my step. Um, Scott, we're running out of time. Let's quickly fast forward to the Northern Territory bit. So let me get rid of a few articles here. Um, uh, Right, dear listener, you may not be aware of this, but the Northern Territory um, uh, is looking at modernising anti-discrimination laws. So it's conducting a review of... Uh, the exemptions that religious organisations are getting. So... Um, it's something you and I have been calling for for a long time. It's, <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, so It the, really is, because it, it just... <clears throat> sorry, I'll, I'll let you keep going and I'll make mm, some sense worth it. So the proposed act is going to be the Modernisation of the Anti-Discrimination Act, and there's a discussion paper... Um, Religious bodies currently have exemptions under the Act for certain attributes aligning with their religious doctrines to avoid offending the sensitivities of others. To promote equality of opportunity for all Territorians, the removal of some of these exemptions is being considered, it notes. One exemption that could be removed is Section 37A that permits religious schools to discriminate against employees on the grounds of religious beliefs, activity or sexuality. The only areas in which religious groups would be permitted to discriminate would be in relation to the training and ordination of clergy, the education of religious sisters and brothers and roles in liturgical settings. Oh, Scott, this is good. This is brilliant. This is really good news. It is brilliant. It really is... Um, it's really annoying that we live, um, you know, further south in the Northern Territory, but the Northern Territory is... R- ruling the roost when it comes to sec- when it comes to progressive secular values. Well, really, you know, th- that and the Andrews government are yeah. You know, at least there's signs like this is a, yeah. a territory government is going to is seriously considering getting rid of these religious exemptions. Fantastic, and that is really good news because you know it is, and that line there that you just read out that is exactly what I called for a couple of weeks ago when I said. The, the line in the sand should be at the where the door of the church ends. Mm-hmm. So you know they can they can have their they can discriminate against gays and that sort of stuff entering the priesthood, but when it comes to their businesses that they run, their schools, their hospitals, and that sort of stuff, they should be following the same law that everyone else has to follow. So mm-hmm. yes, the- I think that the Northern Territory is leading the way. So well done, into yes. Mm, the aim of the review is to ensure religious bodies were more accountable and more inclusive. Oh, that's good. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's really good. As you can imagine, the religious groups are up in arms. Oh, of course they are, yeah. Mm. Article here from um, oh, Christian Schools Australia representatives, um, quote, this is the most extreme attack. Um, in Victoria, for example, there are 90 different exemptions and society wouldn't be able to operate if you didn't provide those exceptions. It's just part of the way of balancing the rights. The part of the way of the balancing of rights is achieved. 90 different exemptions. Get rid of all of them, I say. Another, exactly. another of the uh, religious nutters says, here we have a proposal that views religion as a nasty form of social toxin needing constant government surveillance. Well, it is. That's exactly what it is, yeah. It's, it really is ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. Explaining why a math teacher needed to incorporate a Christian worldview, he said, from our view, maths is one of God's languages. Maths is ordered, it's structured, it reflects the order of our creator. Applied maths and physics describe the created world, ways of relating aspects of God's creation, together in a way that has beauty, uniqueness, and a balance and symmetry. So that's the sort of reasoning that says a religious school can sack a gay maths teacher as soon as they can find a straight one. The proposals of the Northern Territory Review were attacked as logistically nuts and secularism run mad. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Well, you know who the nuts are, don't you? Here we have a proposal that views religion as a nasty form of social toxin needing constant government surveillance. Christian schools would be asked to explain to grovel for a government permit every time they wanted to employ a Christian teacher over a non-Christian teacher. Each and every time a Catholic school preferred a Catholic family enrolment over a non-Catholic enrolment, undermining the very purpose of Australian Catholic education. So that's part of the proposal, Scott, is that if you want to discriminate, you have to go to the government and ask for permission each and every time. Brilliant. It is. It really is because the Catholic schools will end up tied up in knots and bureaucracy if they had to go to the government every time to ask for permission. Yeah. Oh. It really is brilliant. It, you know, my hat is off to them. Thank you, Northern Territory. Well done. It just goes to show, Scott, it can be done. So It can be done, yes. It, it can be done. And it is crazy that... Um, that it is not being done further around the country. Mm. You know, mm. it might come in Victoria. Who knows? Mm. Um, one of the things that does worry me is that because it is the Northern Territory, it is a territory government, which means its laws are subject to review by the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. And the last time they went out on the limb and they had a voluntary assisted dying law up there, Kevin Andrews intervened and through private members bill got it knocked on the head. It does worry me that because this is going after the religions, that there could be a private member's bill coming Mm. to knock this on the head. And if that happens, no way in hell can we sit down and allow that to happen. Mm. That would have to be that would have to be knocked on the head real quickly. Mm. Mm. 
Scott, uh, I've got an article that talks about the legal implications, but we're way over time and um, uh, we've got heaps to go. So I reckon we'll finish off there and we'll uh, we'll carry on next week. So um, any, no any last minute words of advice for the dear listener or anything? Uh, no, not really. Just, uh, if you if you haven't sent in your yes votes yet. Make sure you do send them in. If you're planning on voting no, can you put them in the bin, please? <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> That'll do. All right, dear listener, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week. Bye for now. Cheers. Bye now. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, Tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe on their behalf, on their phone, and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon, and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from... $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you... Get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.